0: Oh hey, hi, hello! Oh my gosh, someone go grab Lana please, she's headed towards a group of dudes, just please stop her, thank you. Welcome to Hollywood Party. I'm so glad you could make it. You know, Desi Arnaz, he was our very first guest. He's buzzing around here someplace. Since he has impeccable taste, I figured we should probably get to know Lucille Ball, his wife. Now I should warn you, she might not sync up with the image you have of her, so keep that in mind. At the height of her career, she was the poster child for I Can Have It All. But did she? Grab a drink and join the party. Since we already talked about Desi, I'm going to try not to overlap stories with Lucy too much. I do think Lucy should be credited as giving the majority of us our first little taste, our little crash course in old Hollywood. You could be five years old and enjoy I Love Lucy, or you could be much older, and an old Hollywood fan, and you can watch it and think, oh, she's doing a riff on that movie Ziegfeld Folly she was in and had to wear a big headpiece. I, for one, knew who Bill Holden was way before I even saw Sunset Boulevard. Lucy's beginning was the total opposite of Desi's childhood. She was born August 6th, 1911, in Jamestown, New York. Her dad, Henry Ball, was a lineman for the independent telephone company. They had to move around a little just so he could find jobs. They lived in Montana, New Jersey, in michigan that is where henry died of typhoid fever when lucy was four years old she had a vivid memory of a frame falling off the wall when she was told he died and seeing a gray sparrow in the windowsill she had a really weird thing about birds for her entire life like if she went into a hotel and there was bird wallpaper she would leave we're done like got out of there and i know we're semi keeping track of this this is yet another mega star who doesn't have a father so I'm seeing a correlation a little bit lucy liked to mention that she had her father's sense of humor there is no question she was one of if not the best comedic actress she was not known for having a sense of humor like all of her friends and her children agree on that so was her dad just not funny they moved in with her mother dede's parents after this dede was pregnant when henry died and her own brother recently died so lucy's grandparents were thrilled to have a new son making lucy feel pretty ignored and lonely one of her grandmothers was super puritanical and gave her what she called a gnawing sense of unworthiness and insecurity so when she did have a major success later on it was really hard for her to get used to the idea that she deserved it However, she did figure out that when life seemed unbearable, she learned to live in her own imagination. In addition to that, she lived next to an amusement park, so that's always a plus. In a bit of self-reflection, Lucy said that she doesn't believe people with happy childhoods ever strive or exert themselves. I mean, looking back at some of our guests, she might have a point. Two pretty big events happened when Lucy was 11. Her grandmother passed away, so Lucy pretty much took over the household while Dee Dee was away at work all day and she started smoking. Her mom caught her doing this and then made her smoke the entire pack like any mom would do. That trick did not work, as we know, because she picked the habit back up when she was 18. So don't smoke. Just listen to the difference in Lucy's voice in the 1930s versus the 1980s. She sounds like a nice young girl, do like this, hey doll, come over here and give me a kiss. That's just not healthy. Don't do that to yourself. So Desi had a weird connection to the mob and so does Lucy. When she was 14, she started dating Johnny DeVita, who was 23 years old. I'm sorry. What the hell did he have in common with a 14-year-old? What were they even talking about? Like, gross. In the 1930s, Johnny's dad was murdered in front of a Catholic church at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. I need to have some coffee before I do my murdering, dude. I'm low-key impressed with how productive that murderer was that early in the day. Like what else is his to-do list? Murder, check, laundry. So to help end this relationship, Dee Dee let Lucy move to New York City for drama school when she was 17. By the end of the school year, the administration called Dee Dee and was like, you're wasting your money. Don't send Lucy here anymore. So this begins the main problem of Lucy's early career. Nobody, not the school, not the studios, knew what to do with her to let her shine. So she ends up becoming a model for Hattie Carnegie, making $35 a week. So that's like $525 in 2020 money. During this time, Lucy has a major arthritis scare and then comes down with rheumatic fever. So she went home for two years to recover. Then she goes back to New York City where she becomes a Chesterfield cigarette girl and was practically plucked off the street to go to Hollywood. This trip was only supposed to be for three days and she was going to work on Roman scandals. Eddie Cantor, who was the star, gave all the girls in the set a once-over, and when he got to Lucy, she had ripped up little bits of red paper and stuck them to her face. He thought that was hysterical. The worst parts of filming this movie were having to wear a g-string, a wig that covered her tits, and then having to shave off her eyebrows. I honestly don't understand this eyebrow thing. They never grew back, like if Lucy was stranded on a desert island, the only thing she would pick to bring with her would be an eyebrow pencil. She briefly had a stock contract with Columbia, but got fired, kind of. They got rid of their entire stock company, so it wasn't like she stunk, they just, everyone went. She then makes a movie at RKO called Roberta and lands a seven-year contract. Ginger Rogers was a major star at RKO and became a star when she was on the younger side, so her mom, Leela, was always on the set, getting in everyone's way and pissing off Fred Astaire. RKO couldn't kick her off a lot because that would make their star Ginger Roger upset, so they gave Leela her own acting school to run. She would take all the new contract players and... The ones that she would see potential in, she would give them lessons in everything and then help place them in small roles to get them started. Having Leela's mentorship was the single most important thing in Lucy's young career. Having the chance to mess up and figure herself out and learn, the way Lucy talked about it, you could just see the joy and gratitude decades later when she spoke of Leela. Her biggest break at that point would have to be stage door, and that was all thanks to Leela. Lucy maybe could have become a megastar much earlier had she married a producer at RKO. Pandro Berman had proposed to her. She declined because he was still married, so I don't really know how that proposal is working if you still have a wife. I suppose this is better than her having had a horror story from a casting couch. Anyway, she said she was blackballed from A-list films because of this. Instead of letting her career stall, she tried radio and said that was the smartest thing she ever did. It taught her timing and how to have the correct tone of voice for comedy. It also put her in front of a live studio audience, and she found out that was like catnip for her. She didn't just do comedies on the radio either. I have a link up on my blog where she's playing the Gene Harlow part in China Seas with Clark Gable. She did a really good job. Like, give it a listen. In 1939, she does the film Five Came Back and it was kind of a sleeper hit. So she goes to New York City to promote it. She's supposed to see Too Many Girls on Broadway, but that afternoon that she's supposed to go, she does a photo shoot at Rockefeller Plaza, like on the ice skating rink, and she freaking cracks her sacroiliac. Try and say that 10 times fast. So she's laid up in the hospital for 10 days. When she finally saw the show, she said she was blown away by Desi's good looks. <sighs> yeah, we all were. And she thought that his broken English was hilarious. She went to La to try and meet him, but it was his night off. I bet he was at Polly Adler's. They finally meet at the commissary in RKO, and we all know how that went. So, bye-bye freckles. We all know Lucy couldn't sing, so she had to lip sync this song in Too Many Girls and she said that it really expressed how she felt about Desi. The song is called, I Didn't Know What Time It Was Till I Met You. Now, they were going hot and heavy, and even if they wanted to get married, Desi contractually was not allowed to marry for five years. They were such opposites, and she knew it. He was romantic, a gambler, we know that, and he never thought of tomorrow. She was, um, Thrifty is probably the nicest word I can say. I know in both of their autobiographies, they say that they were super jealous of each other. And the only person that I could find that Desi possibly had a chance of being jealous about was Joseph Cotton. Whereas Lucy had to be jealous of anything with a pair of tits and a heartbeat. When they finally did get married, their new neighbors, Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, gave them a champagne lunch at Chasen's to celebrate. Chasen's is no longer around. It is now a Bristol Farms, which is an overpriced grocery store. And jokes on that place, no one cooks in Beverly Hills. I really have no idea how that place is in business. Anywho, Chasen's was known for their chili. I know it was a very in place to eat, but I don't know that I'd be wanting to eat chili um, when I'm celebrating something romantic. In a photo play interview in 1947, Lucy says that while at RKO, Carol gave her some advice. She told her, tell the so-and-sos to give you a break. You've got something. Tell them I said they're missing the boat again. Watch a Carol Lombard movie, then watch any episode of I Love Lucy. Lucy isn't copying Carol, but the influence is undeniable. After she does Big Street in 1942, which is probably Lucy's personal own favorite movie, RKO tells her, uh, we don't have any plans for you, and you need to find a different studio. Well, F you very much. She goes to MGM, dyes her hair tango red, and the designer Irene puts her in aqua, emerald, and tangerine gowns. This is her tech. The color Tessie period. She looks drop dead, gorgeous in color, but all the movies she does are pretty much flops. MGM doesn't know what to do with her yet again, so World War II happens, Desi kind of goes off to war, like he's not living at home, so he's technically gone. I told you there were, um, trust issues, so Lucy files for divorce. They get back together, and this was her headspace with that. I no longer expected to be happy, as I had been as an ecstatic new bride, but I did look for a measure of peace and security. I closed my eyes, put blinders on, and ignored what was too painful to think about. Oof. Her movie career was never what she wanted it to be, but she had her own show on the radio. My Favorite Husband had the same two main writers and the producer-director as I Love Lucy. Jess Oppenheimer was the producer director. He had previously handled Fanny Bryce's radio show. He sent Lucy to Jack Benny's show and basically said, go to school, you need to observe his timing. Her dream shifted from being a movie star to having a career like George Burns and Gracie Allen. Except CBS wouldn't let Desi do the show with her because an American girl wouldn't be married to a Latin man. Dude, the entire public knew that they were actually married. So how is this such a hard sell? Lucy said this is how the show really came about. We decided that instead of divorce lawyers profiting from our mistakes, we'd profit from them. Desi Lou, the company, was formed in 1950, and Desi got a Spanish clown, Pepito Peter, to help them form a vaudeville act this act cost them 20 grand of their own money to do and lucy had to turn down the lead role in the star which is a movie about a middle-aged actress facing decline she was not ready to deal with that yet so betty davis was she took that role they took the show on the road to prove to cbs that they had something they could turn into a tv program lucy and desi put all of their money into it so they had to make it work it does and lucy gets pregnant four months into the pregnancy cbs said we need a pilot by this fall Desi is a gambler, Lucy has a baby coming, and she's just super nervous about all of this. So the night before they have to pull the trigger on are they doing this or not, she has a dream. And Carol Lombard shows up and says, take a chance, honey, give it a whirl. Carol is the best. Dude, it doesn't matter if she's dead. She's still gonna show up and support her friends somehow. Freaking love her. Starting a sitcom was a ton of work, but everyone loved it. Bob Carroll was one of the writers. He said they would basically brag about having to stay up all night writing. Lucy's highest compliment to them was, who writes this shit? It should be said that the writers totally preferred dealing with Desi. Like, if he wanted something changed, he'd tell the writers, this is great, oh boy, this is funny, just a few little fins. Lucy flat ass would say, this doesn't work, which to a writer, they're thinking, oh my God, is it the what, the line, what you're wearing, the entire script, what doesn't work? Desi just knew how to finesse people. Lucy did not have that skill. With each script, the first time Lucy read through it, she was awful. She'd have to fight with it, internalize it, and then bam, it was that was it, she had it. That is why comedy is harder and should be more recognized than drama. Not only did she have to do all that work with a script, She had to work on her tone, her props, if there were any, and her facial expressions. It was really hard for her to let go and trust a director, and Desi oftentimes would have to come in and convince her like, hey, this is fine, just trust him. But to Lucy's credit, she never ever said, I can't do that. For their second season, they got a new director. He did double duty for Desi Lu because at the same time as directing Isle of Lucy, he did the first 10 episodes of Armist Brooks. That was their foray into doing other programs underneath the Desi Lu umbrella. Armis Brooks was a radio show that was turned into a TV show for comedian Eve Arden. It ran for four seasons, and her career was kind of similar to Lucy's. She was beautiful, funny, but to the studios, she was just not a leading lady. She also does a cameo on the Brown Derby episode where Lucy goes to Hollywood. She's great sorry i got off topic but there's gonna be more about her next week because she has an affair with that guest i am skipping over a lot of the innovation parts of i love lucy because i already covered them with desi so if you're interested in hearing about those go to him because that was his jam lucy just wanted to act the first season of i love lucy was seen by 29 million people a week which is more than double that of the amount that would go see a A a-list movie during its first run. So she's getting massive amounts of exposure. The second season had to start earlier because freaking Luella Parsons breaks the news that Lucy's pregnant again before the Arnezes could even make an announcement. These gossip columnist ladies are like straight out rude. I was shocked to hear that Philip Morris, their sponsor, asked Lucy not to smoke on screen while she was pregnant. So this is how 1953 went for the Arnezes. January, Desi Jr. is born. That is a major event. February, they win their first Emmy. Also that month, Philip Morris signs them with a two and a half year contract. Then CBS is like, hey, we want a 98 episode deal. And they got $8 million for that. The following season started off super stressful because they had to address the story that human shit stain, Walter Winchell, dropped about Lucy maybe being a communist. Now, if they lost their sponsor, they would have totally been screwed, but the audience was with them, and after Desi gave a speech, before the show explaining that Lucy was not a commie, they were eating out of his hand. I don't know how, but Lucy did not break down until after the episode was done. I would have lost my shit as soon as people started clapping. You know, when that story was proven to be uh, basically a lie, how did Walter Winchell keep his career? Like, Desi, was super nice and he hired him to narrate The Untouchables a few years later. So this mega hit of a show started because Lucy and Desi wanted to be together more so their marriage could make it. Their differences started to become more magnified. The longer the show went on. Like, they had separate bank accounts, and Desi owed Lucy $90,000 a month for household expenses. That's $800,000 a month in 2020 money. I thought she was supposed to be the frugal one. Desi was starting to self destruct, and it really pissed Lucy off because her top priority always was her career. And him being drunk, doing stupid shit in public, was jeopardizing all of that. They were able to get a two picture deal with MGM. Eddie Mannix looked down his nose at the thought of MGM making a movie at Lou. I hate Eddie Mannix. He was a dumb thug who covered up so many crimes, and he beat his Ziegfeld Follies girlfriend, Mary Nolan, so badly that she had to have 20 surgeries. Don't confuse her with the other former Ziegfeld girl who was tangled up with Eddie and George Reeves. See, there's another guy. Did he commit suicide or was he murdered? We all know Eddie Mannix's track record being around, uh, quote-unquote suicides, so... I doubt it. Also, at this point in time, MGM had 2,200 employees. Desilu had 2,300 employees. So sucks to suck, Eddie. A lot of people didn't love the movies Lucy and Desi did. Personally, I think the only thing they're missing is Fred Nethel. But other than that, they're not bad. I mean, the long, long trailer made $4.5 million and it was the 17th highest grossing film of that year, so that's not bad. Forever Darling, on the other hand, was a script that was supposed to be for Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. It didn't work because Lucy and Desi had to play a disagreeable couple. Talk about bringing your personal life to work. Lucy said, as corny as it sounds, that movie was more than just a dumb fantasy. I kept hoping something would come along and save my marriage. Basically, 1955 was when things really started going wonky. Bill Asher and Jess Oppenheimer left, Desi's alcoholism's full-blown, it's the first time they don't win any Emmys, and the day after the awards ceremony, Philip Morris cancels their sponsorship. They said the company needed to spend less money because of a cancer scare. I mean, probably. There was so much tension on the set that Lucy actually kicked Desi in his nuts. Dude, how did the divorce not happen right then? Also, if she's kicking him and his nards in front of people, what is going on at home that we're not seeing? Okay, we need a fun, weird story or two to break up this suck fest that's about to happen in Lucy's life. So, Orson Welles signs a deal with Lou and he moves in to her pool house. He's like, oh, I'll only be here for three weeks. No, 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 no. He's there for three months, and he charges all of his phone bills and grocery bills to their house. Then he's only supposed to have like a five day shooting schedule for the project for Desilu that turns into six weeks. Then he spends $10,000 on the wrap party, which he sent that bill to Desilu as well. Orson Welles, man, that's one weird, weird moocher. Another fun bit of trivia, Don Loper, he was an actual fashion designer who appeared on I love Lucy during the Hollywood season. He was the first openly gay man to appear on TV as himself and not try and act straight. He referred to Lucy as a living doll. Bring that back, gay guys. Like, that's a fabulous thing to call someone. Lucy was definitely an ally for the gay community. She said in a 1980 interview in People Magazine, some of the most gifted people I've ever met or read about were homosexual. How can you knock it? You can't. So let's take a break, refresh our drinks, and I'll be right back. Lucy and Desi sell their ranch in Chatsworth because the commute sucks. Even back then, LA traffic is horrible. And they get a nice house on Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills. The house is still there, but it was ruined. Oh... I'm sorry, I mean, it was remodeled, so it doesn't look how it did when Lucy lived there. Listen to who her neighbors were, you're gonna die. Jack Benny, Rosemary Clooney, Ira Gershwin, Eddie Cantor, Hedy Lamar, Jack Haley, and Agnes Moorhead. Apparently, Halloweens were super kick-ass. Lucy would get dressed up in full witch drag and pass out candy. Screw the candy, I just want a photo desi agreed to go to counseling to help their marriage but then he buys rko and that becomes the biggest studio ever at that point in time which is not helpful for their marriage but lucy had told him years ago that she wanted to become the biggest so he was listening to what she said reflecting back she said she was happier when they had less why do rich people say that i don't believe them i think that's bullcrap so lucy finds herself a distraction not in a man but many men Not that, you dirty ass. She owned RKO, right? So she resurrected Leela Rogers School and began doing the Desilu Playhouse, her version. She said it was the most deeply satisfying experience and it was her way of thanking Leela. She said, only rarely can we repay those who have helped us, but we can pass that along to others. Lucy was extremely modern in the way she handled mental health. Vivian Vance had mental health issues. So maybe she kind of helped shape Lucy's views in a positive way. She also comments that she read a book called The Art of Selfishness. That book taught her to think, Is this good for me? Does this lift my spirit? Like that sort of thing. She really busted her ass with the school. It was only 16 kids and she worked with them like three days a week. And because she was hot shit in town, she would take them to plays. And then they get to go backstage and meet Betty Davis or Vivian Lee. She kept tabs on all of these kids until she died. She'd check in, seeing how their careers are doing. Like with any school, they were not all model students because not everyone has the extreme dedication that Lucy has. So that part could be a little frustrating to her. The Arnezes go to Europe for a vacation to try and fix their marriage. Lucy Arnez remembers that as the trip from hell. Lucy and Desi came back and were not on speaking terms. She became obsessed with rehearsing because that was like the only thing that she could control. Role in her life. I'm not going to rehash their divorce, but afterwards Lucy focused on a Broadway career. She did a show called Wildcat, and then she met a comedian named Gary Morton a year after their divorce. He apparently didn't know who she was because he worked nights. Right. Because there's no newspapers or anything like that, Gary. Desi did not like Gary. Like, he would always mess up his name calling him Barry Norton. I wonder if that was the inspiration for Endora messing up Darren's name on Bewitched. Bill Asher also directed that, so... possibly? To Gary's credit, both Lucy Arnaz and Desi Jr. say very positive things about him as a stepfather, so we're gonna give him a point. the kids. When Lucy took over Desi Lu, it wasn't because Desi wanted to leave. She invoked the buy-sell agreement in their contract and kind of pushed him out. She did it for his health, so it wasn't a dick move, unless Desi was trying to literally work himself to death. She did prefer him to direct her on The Lucy Show because she still has major trust issues. She got $2.3 million for 30 episodes of that sitcom, which was the highest price ever paid for a series she even won two more emmys for that show making her total 13 nominations and four wins not too bad since desi was no longer on the lot lucy was not always the nicest to work with when she got older she'd been doing this for almost 20 years at this point i understand that being patient is a skill that most people do not have to me it seems like lucy is always giving 100 percent and when other people didn't that would just really set her off which is understandable her daughter said this my mother has a way of testing people if you were the kind of person who gave it right back to her she wouldn't do it to you but if you let her walk on you she would do it continually she got off on the power of telling you what to do she was also a taskmaster to her guest stars who were mostly her friends george burns said i've never worked that hard in my life and I've never met anybody who works as hard as Lucy. She drove me out of my skull. He then went on to wonder, can you imagine Lucy getting up in the morning and having someone tell her, Lucy, you're not in show business anymore. I wouldn't wanna be in the same room. I think the best quote about working with Lucy comes from Joan Crawford. She said, my God, they tell me I'm a bitch. Lucy can out bitch me any day of the week. We should probably ask Christina Crawford if that's true. Yet every year she would say she wanted to quit TV. She still had the highest rated program in 1967 when she sold Lou to Gulf and Western. She got like $10.2 million in stock and she still didn't quit TV. She did Here's Lucy with her kids in 1968. Desi took out a full page ad in the Hollywood Reporter to wish his kids good luck. Oh, it's so adorable. On the new show, the writers had to pitch ideas to Gary, and they hated that. He started taking control of other departments as well. Lucy's cousin said this of the dynamic with Gary. She didn't really protect her employees when the chips were down. She wanted to give him balls. That's really what it came down to. I kind of find it hard to believe that Lucy was this much of a tyrant to work for, because if she were a man, none of this would be written about. At all also it should be said that the only other person that owned their own studio while being a megastar was charlie chaplin and obviously no one else has done it after lucy lucy's old school she still wants to be a movie star so she keeps looking for movies to do she really wanted to do hello dolly and she was considered for the role of helen lawson in valley of the dolls that would have been great for many reasons. Mostly because Patty Duke dated Desi Jr. and she thought she had a kid with him, but years later found out Desi Jr. wasn't the actual dad. He was still really great to that kid. That kid was Sean Astin. He was like in Rudy, The Goonies, Lord of the Rings. So if any nerd boys are listening, there's your fun facts. So because of that whole situation, Lucy was not a big fan of Patty. So that dynamic would have been awesome to watch on screen. Also, side note, Desi Jr. dated Liza Minnelli, and he was with her when she got her Oscar for Cabaret. Lucy knew Liza her entire life and really liked her, but she said, you can't domesticate Liza. I mean, between these two ladies, I think that explains why Desi had issues with drugs. So Lucy ends up doing the musical version of Mame. Everyone loves to shit on this film. Desi told her not to do it, but I think the best thoughts on this movie come from Robert Osborne. He said, she was playing a part that we'd seen done perfectly before by Rosalind Russell. Precisely. I do like what the New Yorker said about the film. After 40 years in movies and TV, did Lucy discover in herself an unfulfilled ambition to be a flaming drag queen? Woo, the shade of it all, dude. Another role that she didn't get, Frank Sinatra wanted Lucy as the mother in Manchurian Candidate, but that went to Angela Lansbury. So was MAME payback for Angela Lansbury taking that role from Lucy? I doubt it, it's just something interesting to consider. After MAME, Lucy stepped back from working full-time. In 1977, she started doing acting classes, which she only charged 125 bucks. Can you imagine? The very first day of class, was the day that Leela Rogers died. So it was kind of like sit there and listen to Lucy reminisce and be sad about her mentor. There's a video of Lucy taking questions from acting students at UCLA. I have it up my blog. And to me, that, that woman on that film, that is who Lucy really is. She's so sharp and so quick, and she's super excited and eager to share her knowledge with these kids. Then in 1979, she ended up teaching three-hour classes for kids at Cal State Northridge. Honestly, I think after The Lucy Show and Here's Lucy ended, she should have really done more of this because you could tell how passionate she was because she had a passionate teacher in her youth. No one's doing this anymore. You know Jerry Seinfeld would never do something like this. If if he did, it would cost an actual shit ton and nobody but the kids whose parents bought their way into USC could afford to go. I know there's master class online, but this was different. Lucy would sit down with these kids and they'd say... I wanna be like Irene Dunn. And Lucy would say, well, you look like a prostitute and act like one, so let's look at ourselves as others see us. I know I'm harping on this point and you might think, well, who the hell did she teach that actually became something in the industry? May I direct your attention to Robert Osborne. If you don't think that her guidance was not significant and made a big difference, watch him introduce a film, then watch their new host. And I would also argue that if you weren't introduced to old Hollywood through I Love Lucy, then you most certainly were through Robert Osborne, who was taught by Lucille Ball, so all roads lead back to her. When Lucy and Desi were married, he was the one who called everyone up to come over for parties, and he did all of the cooking. Lucy kind of just sat back and observed. There was one party where Desi was cooking his famous spaghetti. Yeah, I know he's Cuban, but apparently his pasta was the bomb. He's carrying this gigantic pot of piping hot pasta across the room and the bottom of the pot just disintegrated absolute silence in that room carol lombard asked lucy when was the last time you cleaned these floors and she's like well today we're having a party so carol got up grabbed a fork sat down on the floor and dug in and so did everyone else after their divorce she would still have little dinner parties they would maybe be major because of who was invited not because of the size of the party Honestly, she was just really more into doing like backgammon tournaments or kicking someone's ass at Scrabble. Like she was real low key, not a party girl. There is a book called I Had a Ball and it's about this teenager who was a mega Lucy fan. And he went to her classes and kind of became friends with her. She ended up letting him be the warm up guy on her last sitcom, and now he's like the warm up guy on Dr. Phil. I'm telling you, if you liked old movies in the 1970s, you could basically have access to whoever you liked because they were available and pretty lonely. It's wild! Lucy received her Kennedy Center Award less than a week after Desi passed from cancer. Robert Stack came out on stage and he read a letter that Desi wrote, and it's really lovely. He said that she deserves 90% of the credit as to why the show was a success, and everyone else can split the 10% that's left. Luckily, Lucy and Desi stayed friends all the way to the end of their lives, which I think they had to be, because no one else on the planet would know what it's like to be as successful as they were, except each other. She did do another TV show very briefly in 1986. It was canceled and that definitely affected her ego. That same year she went into the hospital to get her aortic valve replaced. The surgery was seven hours and she made it through but ended up passing away the next day. She was cremated and placed next to her mom at Forest Lawn. Her kids then moved both of them in 2007 to Jamestown, New York, where they built a comedy museum. Basically, if you're a Lucy fan, you have to make a pilgrimage there at least once in your life. A few years ago, it was very popular to push the fact that Lucy was the first woman to be the head of a studio. I do not think that's how she would want to be remembered. She could give two shits about business stuff. Being the most successful TV show in history, that would really mean something to her. There's so much stuff out there about Lucy and Desi and Desi Lou. If you want to head over to my blog, I have books, articles, websites, videos all linked up so you don't have to be searching for anything. So let's get to the eternal question Is Lucy coming to our party? Desi's here, so it would be really weird if we didn't invite her. Honestly, I don't think she'd want to come. I think she'd maybe show up for like champagne, have a few cocktail weenies, and then pull the old I-have-to-get-up-early bit and then bounce out before any of the real party people even showed up. Personally, I'd be more into having her as a mentor than I would having her at a party, but the invitation is still there if she feels like getting frisky. For more information about this episode, head over to HollywoodPartyPodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like the show, tell every single person you know, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Anchor or however you're listening to this right now, and we'll see you next week.